doing that. Hey, everybody. What's up? Um, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, welcome to the Gig App Podcast by Para, a weekly show covering all things gig-related. And uh, today, or this evening, I'm this week, I'm joined by David. And uh, we have a guest with us this week. We have the CEO of Moves Financial, Matt Spoke. Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Looking forward yeah. to this. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I know David has a working relationship with Matt going back a ways, and then so do I independently. And then we kind of realized through Matt that we that he knew David. And and then David and I have a very close working relationship. So I don't know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I've known Matt for David, you've known him longer than me, probably, but I've known him for a good couple of years plus now. Yeah, yeah. At this right. point, I'd say, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know that I was just looking through the website today, in fact, and I was trying to see, okay, well, where where has it changed? I see that the the bullet points are still the same. We'll kind of roll through them. Yeah. But it, I know that in talking with Pedro and other people and just kind of, you know, looking and seeing what's going on. I know that there are some new things. So if, if at any point you'd feel like adding in anything, please jump in. Cause I want to go break down a little bit of what moves is about for those who maybe didn't see the earlier pieces that we did. Um, Cause I know, I think if I had, I've had you on a couple times on the podcast. So, um, but I would, yeah, I mean, if we, if we can, let's, uh, is it, let's, can we just start with walking through the, the, basic bullet points like the earnings tracking the mobile banking the business yeah. cash advance stock rewards let's just kind of roll through those one at a time maybe i think that's the best way to start yeah well uh thanks for having me uh for those of you who don't know us we're uh, we're moves we've been we've been building uh in this space for about about four four and a half years now um i happen to be canadian so i did not recently celebrate Thanksgiving. it was a month ago for us but uh uh, but I, I just came back from spending a, a couple of days in Cleveland a few weeks ago, where we were hanging out with some of our customers and doing some meetups and stuff like that. So we're we're having we're having a lot of fun doing it. Moves, um, as as you mentioned, Steve is is a little bit of a um, sort of a comprehensive product that includes banking, includes cash advances, includes sort of like earnings tracking and tax features. We're we're starting to get more into helping users like categorize their spending so that they can differentiate between like business spending and personal spending uh, for the purposes of just like making it easier to, to manage their, their gig businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, I think like a lot of us in this space, like one of the things that we sort of zeroed in on initially was the, the fact that most of our users are uh, working on multiple apps at the same time. They're, they're earning from two, three, four different places. And, and when you're getting, you know, your deposits or your pay into two, three different debit cards or two, different, two, three different bank accounts. It just creates unnecessary friction of having to move your money around. You know, you have some money going in your Dash or Direct card, some money going in your Uber Pro card or whatever it might be. And so we wanted to build a product that sort of like pull that all into a single place. So you could have like one business bank account for all of your gigs, um, spend on that from that account, track your expenses, sort of better manage your taxes. And then we also layered on top of that this this idea of a cash advance, which effectively means that as you bank with us and we get to know your history and we get to know sort of your earning profile, um, if you have any reason where you need cash unexpectedly, like you have an interruption in your pay because your car's in the shop or or you're sick or whatever it might be, then we'll, we'll float you typically up to a week's pay um, for users that have sort of got, gotten uh, a, 
Really so that, that, that was something I was going to, that was one of the specific things I was going to ask you because when we talked last time, I know that I saw on the website today, it's set up to 2k, yeah. but I know it was up to 1k before. So the, the amount has increased, yeah. but what kind of uh, traction or what kind of history do you need with moves so to it, it, engage that? So it, it ranges from $25 to $2,000. Typically how it works is like we start people on a smaller amount, like $25 to $100, depending on your earning profile. And then as you deposit with us and as you take out an advance and repay it on time, then we'll let you get into a bigger advance and you take out that advance and repay it on time. And so the whole like the whole eligibility uh, engine that we built that sort of determines what amount you're eligible for is based on like a couple of inputs. Like one, what's your earning history. So we've got sort of your earning data. You'll you'll connect your various apps to, the, to your moves profile. So we'll look back two, three, four, or sometimes six months to see, hey, how consistently has this, this gig worker been working and earning? Um, and then how are they moving those deposits to moves? Um, and then are they banking with us consistently? And then you start to unlock larger and larger amounts. Um, the, your, your like top eligibility, if you sort of go through the motions with us is supposed to get you to what an average week's earning is for you. So $2,000 is really for people that are making $2,000 a week. They'll get to that point by just sort of like going through the motions of taking out smaller advances and repaying them and take and incrementally getting access to larger advances. Um, if you're, if you're a gig worker that makes $500 a week, uh, then you'll probably end up capped at somewhere around $500. The, the intent of the product is to sort of cover you for a week. It's not a perfect science, but it sort of like roughly gets you to like what a typical week's earnings would be. Um, and it's there to, to cover these sort of like unexpected unexpected costs that might show up while you're running your business. Sometimes it's as simple as I don't have enough gas to start my day. Yeah. I need a, I need somebody to front me some money. And I just wanted to make sure that... Is, that gas one is so common, right? I think yeah, we have totally. a lot of people yeah. who are just like, hey, if something rough happened. I can't pay for gas, I guess, Matt, like. How does it work? Is there sort of like a flat repayment for people who will be watching this? Like, how does it work? Is it completely free? Like, what happens? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not free, but it's not a loan. So um, that, a, a few things. So one... That's why I was glad that you're clarifying that because I didn't want it... Because I know when our previous discussions, you've always said this is not a cash payday app. Like, And I didn't want it to sound like one because it's not. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a, there's a nuance or like a distinction between a loan and what we call a business cash advance. And so, you know, as the word, as the term implies, this is us financing your business as a gig worker, not giving you a personal loan. And what, why that matters is one, we're not looking at your credit score. We're not reporting into the credit bureau based on repayment or non-repayment. There's no recourse if you don't pay us back. We know that stuff happens. The way the product is designed, it's designed to not put you on a, a payment schedule. It's designed to sort of ebb and flow with your earnings. So. When you take out an advance for moves, let's say a hundred dollar advance, first of all, it's instantly funded to your account, so you, you'd have access to it sort of like two seconds after requesting it, um, after you've built up your profile, um, so you could spend it instantly. And then we're not going to take back payments unless you're earning money. So it, as deposits come into the account, you'll set um, how much of your deposit do you want to be applied as a repayment to your advance. So next time a deposit hits your account from Uber or from Grubhub or from whatever. Um, and let's say you told us, hey, take 10% of my deposit and, and apply it against my advance and you get a $50 deposit, we'll automatically take $5 of that and we'll put it against your advance balance until it sort of gets paid down. We charge a fixed, what we call a servicing fee. And so that fixed fee does not go up or down based on how long it takes you to repay. So if it takes you four or five times longer to repay, the fixed fee doesn't change. 
uh, to try to make it like super simple for for our users to understand how much it's going to cost them. So there's no there's no late fees, there's no sort of penalties. It's just this one fee that you get you see up front. Um, the fee varies depending on what repayment terms you choose. If you want to choose a repayment that is sort of slower, some people will say I want to put 10% of my deposits against this. Some people will say I want to put 25% of my deposits against this, so it'll get paid off faster, um, and that might that might impact the fee effectively. But we uh, very intentionally designed us ourselves to be like as far away from payday loans as possible in terms of the price of these things. Uh, and also just like very, ref, um, very like, uh, reactive to the way that you earn. So if you're, if you have a week where you don't earn anything because you took a week off, you're not going to owe mm-hmm. us that week. There's no repayment that week. So it's supposed to be sort of as, as variable as your schedule is, so to speak. Are these human, are these sense. humanized that are doing the, you know, like you're not, you're not, um, like reliant on algorithm. Yeah, are there people looking at the at these? Yeah. Not involved in the approval process or the collection mm-hmm. process. I mean, there are so the approval process is all rules driven. So you know the rules are you know we'll look at earning history, we'll look at deposit history, uh, we'll look at repayment history. If you've had a previous advance with us and did you repay it on time, not on time? There's no penalties, but if you take three, four times longer to repay than you said you were going to take, then we might just hold you back to a lower amount next time uh, instead of like graduating you to larger amounts. But all these rules are automated. It's pretty transparent when you create a profile, like how it's calculated. Um, and then the repayment is the same thing. It's sort of like an automated percentage of a deposit. So you tell us, hey, every time a deposit comes in and we we differentiate between what we would call a gig deposit and any other deposit. So if you put any money in your account, we're not going to touch that. We're only going to touch deposits coming from a designated gig app. So if it's a deposit coming from DoorDash or Grubhub or Uber or Lyft or whatever, um, then that's where we would we would end up taking whatever that percentage that you told us to take is. But is it Do you like, have like a is, rough sense, Matt? Is it like for if it's like 500 bucks, is that like payback five bucks, payback 50 bucks, payback? Yeah, no, our average bucks. pricing ends up just around 15%. So it goes as low as 10%, uh, goes as high as 25 um, on smaller advances. Um, and, you know, a $25 advance, for example. Um, but it, our average shakes out around 15%. So if you were to take out $100, you'd be paying us back in that scenario, 115. You could be paying us back as, as little as 110. It wouldn't be less than 110, though, in that, in that equation. So credit checks. Yeah. Yes? No? No, no, no credit checks. We don't look Yeah, because, okay, I saw it in parts of the website. I just didn't know if I could equate it to the whole model. No, and, and like intentionally, like we, we don't, I mean, I think a lot of users that find us do it because one, they don't have access to more traditional credit products or they have a hard time getting access to traditional credit products. So mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our customers either have little to no credit history or they've got, you know, some blips in their credit history that are being held against them. And so we only look at your gig earning data as a way to sort of decide what you're eligible for. It does mean that like as a company, we take a higher risk because we don't have the recourse of being able to like report into a credit bureau. So we'll take higher loss rates than than a typical, let's say, like consumer credit card or, or personal loan. Um, but uh, but it's all sort of factored in how the how how the pricing works effectively. So but uh, I think that's a big deal that people need to understand because anywhere yeah. else they go is going to use the credit score. Yeah, totally. So I mean, I mean it's. And, and what we what we rely on instead of credit scores is we rely on 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 observing your behavior within the moves app, right? So observing mm-hmm. are you depositing with us? Are you spending with us? Are you repaying on time? And so we sort of develop our own level of confidence on the customer 
by what they do inside of our app, not what they're doing elsewhere. Um, yeah. yeah. So Matt, I was just probably thinking of, you know, being one of the people listening is like, what's like, you know, so I take 500 bucks from you. Yeah. Uh, and I owe you, you know, 570 bucks back. Yeah. Um, can people just run away and stop gig working? Like what happens totally. then? Yeah, no, nothing. I mean, I like, I shouldn't admit this out loud, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's part of the design of the, and there, this is like a very specific legal classification of a product called a, a, a merchant cash advance, more typically, like more commonly known. Um, and the intent is that what we're doing without getting too technical, is we're not lending you money. We are, we are estimating your future earnings and we're buying this unearned account receivable from you. And so like this account receivable is like, hey, one day Uber is going to owe you money because you did some rides. We're effectively buying that money that Uber owes you or a percentage of that money that Uber owes you. If you stop working for Uber, that's the only thing we have claims over is like your Uber earning, right? So we don't, we can't chase you down. We can't empty your bank account. Like we don't have any recourse that, that looks like that. So it's really tied. And like our, you know, and the reason we sort of make you jump through hoops is because by the time a customer gets to a larger advance, like a thousand dollars or $1,500 or $2,000, uh, at that point, we've gotten to know them and we know they're pretty dependable, they're pretty consistent, they work regularly, and the level of risk goes down pretty significantly. On first-time advances, we see a lot of customers that'll try it out, they'll take a $25 or $50 advance and we'll never hear from them again. And we, we, we take that risk. By the time they get to their second, third advance, we generally know that they intend to stick around, they intend to use the yeah. product like as, as designed. So. Uh, yeah, Matt, this might mean more to you than to me is factoring. Does that mean anything? Yeah, that, that's that's sort of one of the technical terms that is not a perfectly applicable term in our context, but it's a good analogy. Invoice factoring, let's say, uh, and some 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 gig apps, you know, this analogy would work. Let's say you're a trucker uh, and you get paid by your client for, for completing a shipment. You get an invoice. You, you submit an invoice to that client. That client owes you a thousand bucks. That client might tell you, I'm not going to pay you for two weeks. What a trucker might do is they might go factor their invoice, which means somebody will buy that invoice from them for less than $1,000. They'll buy it from you for $900, uh, but you get $900 today, they get to collect $1,000 in two weeks, right? So the concept is very similar. We do it on like so shorter timeframes, but it is very similar to invoice factoring. That makes sense. I want to answer a question that came in from a Facebook user really quickly, then I'd actually like to sort of hop over to like, how you started moves and just like yeah let's do it yeah I, I, I don't want to Facebook yeah I think uh, we have a Facebook user here I think the name is Harianti Stevens basically asking I haven't been able to sign into Para does it still work with DoorDash this question goes to David Para uh, so I'm not sure about not being able to sign into Para if you're having troubles as always you can email help at withpara.com or David at withpara.com myself and we can get that sorted we did have sort of like a profile merge thing a couple weeks ago so that might be it. Uh, it depends on what you mean also by work with DoorDash. We do not offer tip transparency, but there are limited slots for people to do auto decline and borrow new feature pulse. Uh, it's not publicly available, but if you have an interest, as always, just email me. So david at wordpara.com. Uh, and if I didn't answer your question, just email I me. Saw, I saw that pulse announcement. That looks exciting, by the way. I, uh, congrats. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. It's still, it's still new. And I think, you know, as per a lot of these things, it's good to just put it out because I think yeah. from our end, uh, you know, what we basically realized was 
not it wasn't very obvious to people that you had to go online to contribute to the map basically yeah. so i think we just released something today which said hey click here to go online to contribute to the map basically so it's one of these where it's like in retrospect it was very obvious we should have made it easy for people to do it but you never really see these things yeah totally. uh, speaking of a funny one is like the one place where actually pulse is doing super well for us weirdly is toronto and i didn't even know that we had a canadian presence in, uh, Mo so, in montreal um, yeah, Montreal. I've been getting, I get Toronto, getting a lot of people telling me about Montreal. And I didn't even know we were available in Canada. And free. You know, yeah, the irony you. of this is my entire team's based in Canada, and we are not available in Canada. And you guys. Huh. Yeah. You know, yeah. So uh, mostly because when you're dealing with like banking and payments, it's very country specific. The banking rails in the yeah. US are very different. That makes sense. In Canada. So we just we haven't built the support for the Canadian sort of banking system. But. Yeah. That no, I, I saw we were going through actually some of the pulse pings with Steve, and I was like, Look at Toronto, it's like as busy as New York City for us, which is pretty wild. Yeah, wow. mm -hmm. uh, so was Montreal, Montreal, yeah, was pretty, pretty crazy. I want to have one more here than supporting French. I hope your French is okay on your support channels. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was the thing. There's a there's a guy who does a lot of TikTok who, um, had I've, I've known him through just creating, and and he put out he tagged me in a in a TikTok video that said hey do you even know that this is available in france on the para app and i just huh. was like hmm like and i said it to david i was like dude what the heck is that? we looked at it we're in taiwan <laughs> we're in france i was like what is going on this is sort of shocking <laughs> uh, but canada canada's the big one so tony uh, uh the uber disconnection i'm sorry about that so what happened is this is an uber issue that's affecting like a couple cities only Right to get so to be very upfront here, we have a solution. It's going to be rolled out over the next couple of days here. I'll also be upfront. One of these, I probably should admit it, and that it does worry me a bit, and that it reminds me a bit of DoorDash. So it looks like Uber's rolling out something in a couple cities to be able to roll it out everywhere. So uh, you know that's why it's taken a little bit of time for us to address, but I expect a fix in the next couple of days. So we have it working on a couple of devices, and it will be rolled out to everybody soon. Uh, but yes, let's get back to uh, the question. So Matt, like, why are you, why are you here? Why did you find moves? Like, what, what brought you? What, what in your life brought you here? In a different, in a different. Why are you operating in a different country? Yeah, the different country story I could get into because we actually started in Canada. I mean, me, my, most of my team is based in Toronto. Not, not, a, not a hundred percent, but most of us are here in Toronto. Um, and and I started the business right before the pandemic sort of rolled into North America. Um, and, and frankly, when we first started, we didn't really know what we were going to build. I mean, my original, the original thing that caught my attention was um, in 2019, you, you'd probably remember this well, this is when AB5 was being debated in California. And there was a ton of talk about sort of uh, 1099 versus versus employee. Um, and that's still time, that's still a heavy, heavy still. conversation right now. But but one of the one of the guys that I had been interacting with quite a bit was the guy who was running this massive investment that Uber was making called Uber Money, and Uber Money was going to be this like full service banking and financial services company inside of Uber that was going to provide everything from like mortgages to banking to loans to auto insurance for predominantly Uber drivers. But um, and I and I was talking to the guy who was running it, and he had always envisioned that like, hey, it'd be it'd be great in, the, in a perfect world, we'd like. We'd expand it so that it doesn't exclusively stay for Uber drivers, but it becomes this like financial services platform for gig workers more broadly. But obviously it was incubated inside of Uber and it was intended for Uber and Uber was seeing it as like 
a tool to like hold on to workers inside their ecosystem. When when all that uh, AB5 stuff was being debated, um, Uber, for a bunch of reasons, this is around the same time that they switched CEOs, but um, they started peeling back a lot of their, their like non-core priorities. And this one in particular um, was one that was like posing a risk to this whole, we're not the employer argument, you know, because we're, if you start offering everything from like health insurance to auto loans to everything, it really starts to feel like you are providing services to your workers in a way that would look like an employer relationship. And so Uber effectively killed this, this business line uh, pretty abruptly. And, um, but this, this thought had sort of stuck in my head that like, Hey, Uber was probably never well suited to solve the multi-app banking problem. Um, but there was obviously appetite to build in. There was obviously a gap in the market where nobody was building sort of like dedicated financial services for gig workers. Um, and, uh, and I came from a background of, of financial services and, and I spent, had spent enough time with this guy that it, it sort of like felt like an opportunity when the pandemic rolled into Toronto, at least the first thing we did is we were sort of like trying to figure out a starting point for the company, like what would be the first product or service we would offer. Um, and, uh, and I remember that week where Toronto announced the first lockdowns um, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and Uber and Lyft drivers that we had been talking to started telling us that they were seeing their income disappear like overnight because nobody was getting into, into ride share anymore um, when everybody went into lockdown and we're like, oh shit, okay, I wonder if there's something we could do about this. We had a little bit of money as a company just getting started. And so we threw up a landing page and just said, hey, if you're an Uber or Lyft driver in Toronto and, 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 uh, and you just lost your earnings, like you can apply here for what we were calling a bridge loan. And we were just giving away these like temporary bridge loans to, I think we maybe did 150 or 200 of these loans up to $2,500. They had to send screenshots to us of like their historic earnings to show us that they were actually like active drivers. Um, one thing led to the next, we started discovering other problems. We pivoted from that to um, maybe about a month or six weeks later, that was helpful, but it was getting more and more obvious that rideshare wasn't going to come back quickly because lockdowns and work from home and all this stuff was like sort of sticking around. But then the next thing that showed up is that we started noticing that like food delivery was blowing up. And a lot of these Uber and Lyft drivers that we were working with now wanted to um, start doing food delivery. And in a city like Toronto, um, the most efficient way to do that is on the back of an e-bike, not driving your car around downtown. Uh, but to buy an e-bike is like a $2,000 or $2,500 purchase. And so um, we reached out to this like e-bike company. They had like a retail storefront downtown Toronto that was getting quite popular for like these new food delivery workers. And, and they told us um, that most of these drivers were not eligible for their, their, they had like a point of sale, like buy now, pay later sort of financing product. Um, and they just like, they weren't meeting all the criteria. And we're like, hey, if, if an Uber driver walks in and wants to buy a bike and they don't meet your criteria, like call us our office happened to be like a couple blocks away and we literally would like walk over and like meet this person and be like, Hey, we'll buy this bike for you. Do you like promise to pay us back? And um, it went very poorly from like a performance perspective, but we did this, you know, probably about a hundred times, bought about a hundred e-bikes for couriers in Toronto. And, and anyway, one thing led to the next, we just got deeper and deeper into like understanding like how they, how, how people earn doing both rideshare and food delivery. Um, how to manage a credit product, which we were not doing very well initially. The reason we moved to the US is we realized that like eventually we'd have to get a lot deeper into like the core banking product for gig workers so that we could not only give them access to like credit, but also um, help them manage their, their cash flow. So 
uh, also to like help improve repayment performance. It was like tying these two things together really like made the product work a lot better. Um, and so then we, we, none of us had ever built a banking product before. We're like, how do you build a bank account? Um, started looking around in Canada. It was really not obvious and it was super expensive and the market was just a lot smaller. Uh, and so we, we started focusing on the U S we, we had heard of this company in the U S that would allow you to like build a bank sort of as a service, like, Hey, build your own bank accounts, build your own debit card programs, all this stuff. And so we reached out to them and say, Hey, how, how complicated is this? Can we, can we, can we work with you guys? And so we launched early 2021, like our first product in the U S and, and after that, we sort of shelved our focus on the Canadian market and said, Hey, let's just like double down on this. Um, and it's just been a, a matter of like sort of iterating on, on that, like initial product and adding more value and more features as, as users tell us what they want effectively. So um, how many, how many bikes, how many bikes you got straight taken? <laughs> well, we never repossessed a bike. If, you, if that's your question, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what I meant is like, how many people never 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 made, like thirty-seven repossessed e-bikes or anything like that? Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think we probably at the beginning when we were lending on money, we must have been losing definitely more than fifty percent of the money, the dollars we gave away never came back. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, now to give some context, that's probably more like seven to eight percent. And that, you know, going from, let's say, 60% loss rates to like 7 to 8. And 7 to 8 is still high. Like 7 to 8, uh, you know, consumer credit cards lose about 2%. Uh, and so there's a big difference between a consumer credit card and what we do. But we're still, you know, we're still finding ways to like tweak and optimize our, our, our algorithms to get better at predicting repayment p- patterns. But um, yeah, it's a, it's, credit's a complicated problem, but uh, we're, we're figuring it out. Um. Also, before we get too too far away from it, just so we can hit on it, is there a perk to cre- speaking of credit? Is there a perk to the the user's credit by using moves, even though you're not doing anything with credit no, check? We've looked at this. I'm still I'm still keen to do this. It's a little more complicated than I originally thought. I mean, I I do think there's some cool products out there that like help you build your credit score just by using your debit card on a day to day basis or by paying your rent on time or things like that. I mean, I think there is a, a path for us to to do those types of features because we've definitely heard or repaying that. loans or yeah, like taking yeah, out those even those small loans, just repaying them, showing that. Yeah, and there, there's there's a couple of cool products that that have just like built a really interesting sort of like credit building feature. So if you don't have a credit score, you can use a product and sort of like build up a credit score, and it's almost like getting access to a loan, but really it's like a it's a fully like collateralized loan. So it's like, hey, I'll lend you $500 if you have a $500 balance in your account. And as silly as that sounds, but if if, if you spend the $500 that I lent you, um, then you're actually spending credit. And if you repay it, then you're repaying credit and that helps build your credit score. Um, and, and, you know, we could do it with like low risk because there's this $500 collateral backing the $500 loan. So it's not a perfect scenario, but it helps people build a credit score or, or fix a credit score if they've had sort of a bad history of credit. Um, but it turns out it's it's a complicated problem, and you know you got to sort of plug into the various credit agencies. There's rules that are pretty strictly um, enforced by the regulators around how these products need to be designed. So we haven't done it yet, but I do think that there's uh, there's probably a roadmap to, to towards that in the future. On my end, thank you for sharing the story. I think it actually speaks a lot to me. I think I, I knew part of the story, but not all of it. I think it speaks to us because I think that's also how like Para started, right? It was actually sort of the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Noticed that there was a lot of misinformation around sort of unemployment insurance, PPP, EIDL loans. People online were like, yo, you should just apply for all of them and get all of them. (laughs) 
basically in Europe, where we're being like posting, like, no, you should not do that because you will are those people in trouble. IRS jail, IRS jail. Yeah. But then, so basically we built this little tool that was like, hey, it shouldn't be that hard to make a decision. Answer these six questions and we'll tell you how we just scraped the government websites and each of these programs will pay you this much on this timeline and this is what you need to do. And this was also when it was a bit confusing with the unemployment, right? So they're like, some states were like, hey, you should not apply. Some states were like, you should apply and wait. Some states were like, you should apply, get rejected, then reapply. And it was this whole nightmare. So I had this sort of like air table table where I sort of put up like, you know, hey, if you're in this state, this is what you have to do. If you're in that state, that's what you have to do. And this okay. guy showed up and he's just like, you're wrong. You're out of date. Everything's wrong. You suck. What you have here is not great. Uh, and after going back and forth for a while, I realized that this guy really cared. And that's how I met Steve. So I think, you know, <laughs> right? he kept texting me. He's like, you're too slow. I'm ahead of you. This is what you need to do. Just give me edit access, bro. <laughs> right? like, and then that's actually, so I love this sort of that y'all also had that starting point, uh, sort of born in the pandemic moment there. Yeah. I think that speaks to both of us here, mm -hmm. really. So Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, stock rewards. Yep. Yeah. So, so I, I remember talking to you when this was just an idea. It wasn't, I don't even think it was even the first time we interviewed. I don't even think it was actually happening yet. It was just yeah. about you or something. And I know That's that then we interviewed again and it was, but where is it at now? We had a couple of iterations on this and like a couple of hiccups along the way as, as, as a lot of startups run into. So I mean, long story short, I think when you and I talked about it, um, we had not yet rolled it out to users, but what we were doing on, on our balance sheet is we were accumulating small amounts of stock in Uber, DoorDash, Lyft, Grubhub at the time. I say at the time, now they're, they're stocks. Sort of right, right. Stock. It, was, it was a lot fewer than you have now. Yeah. And, and, um, and the reason we were doing that is because it was like, to us, it was an interesting tool to say, hey, like, how do you build some sort of like official channel to, to like advocate for gig worker rights or gig worker concerns? And, um, and this idea of like owning stock and being a shareholder and having shareholder votes and, and it was was interesting to us and and um, wasn't quite sure whether it would resonate with users as like a product perk or a feature because like there's definitely a certain amount of like stock market knowledge and education that you need to have to be able to like even start having that conversation with somebody um, and but we did it just for the fun of it back in 2021 we. Um, no, early 2022, we submitted a shareholder proposal to Uber, um, which is like a pretty official thing. Like you have to, there's a very like legal template for how to do it. Uber as a public company has no choice, but to, uh, has, has to respond, has to consider. And if you really force the issue, has to put the vote in front of their entire shareholder base at their annual general meeting. Uh, and typically what public companies will do is they'll then try to reach out to whoever authored the proposal and try to see like, why are you submitting this proposal? What's bothering you? Is there anything that we can like negotiate to have you withdraw the proposal before the annual general meeting? Cause it looks, it doesn't look great when they have these like sort of rogue proposals coming in. And so we had like a pretty cool opportunity to talk to some very, very senior folks at Uber. Uh, our proposal was pretty outlandish intentionally. I mean, like, I don't, you know, I think practically speaking was, was probably not going to happen, but our proposal was that they should designate that one seat on their board of directors need to be held by a currently active driver um, and uh, who earns their primary earning as a driver. So they couldn't like, you know, fake it by just like asking one of their like corporate board members to start driving for Uber once a month. 
uh, just to give somebody get somebody into those conversations that that understood sort of like the daily the daily struggles and the reality of being a gig worker. I mean, I think there's so many other criteria that go into being a public company board member that we knew that the the likelihood was quite low that this would would be like a valid thing. But it was it met all the criteria that it was a valid proposal because the SEC has definitions of like when a proposal can just be tossed out for reasons that are just like, you know, you're just sort of wasting our time. And when a proposal has to be brought forward to the board of directors and the shareholders. And this one met all the criteria. We worked with a pretty sophisticated law firm to make sure that like we did everything by the book because Uber would have been looking for any reason to just sort of like tell us to go away. Um, and that went well. And we sort of talked about it with our users and people seemed to be like excited by the concept behind it. And, um, and so we rolled out this feature where if you were using our account and spending money with us, we would then start giving you small amounts of stock in the companies that you were working for. So we partnered with a broker dealer to make it very official so that you would open a brokerage account when you opened your moves account uh, and you would earn small amounts of stock, like five cents, 10 cents, $1 maybe, you know, but you'd accumulate these things. Every time you use your debit card, you'd earn a little bit of DoorDash stock or a little bit of Lyft stock or a little bit of Uber stock, depending on what your primary app was. And then you'd have this this growing balance in your in we we called it our stock reward program. Uh, the problem was at the end of 2022, the broker dealer that we were working with went bankrupt, <laughs> and so all of a sudden the feature we couldn't we had to shut the feature down. And this is like the last week before Christmas, effectively, and they caught us really by surprise. And 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 then we're like, okay, maybe it was just an experiment. Maybe we won't bring it back. But the first couple of months of 2023, we were just getting a lot of annoyed users saying like, Hey, when are you coming? When's the stock reward program coming back? When's it coming back? And so we started like slowly working towards like finding a new broker dealer that we could work with. And we just actually relaunched it in the last month. Um, so now it's, it's back up and running we're, we're we're just about to roll out Instacart stock now that they're public. Um, and there's a couple of others that we've layered in over the, over the years, like uh, target stock for, uh, for ship, not ship couriers for um, goodness. Um, anyways, we got Target stop. We've got uh, uh, Target tar- shipped as Target. Yeah, yeah as Target. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and we're rolling out um, uh, Instacart. As I said, uh, we we had Grubhub. We had to delist it because Grubhub got acquired by a European company whose stock got delisted on the on the North American market, so we couldn't support Grubhub anymore. But there's all these these others that we're sort of like looking at now. So I think we support six stocks in the reward program so yeah and what, i know this was a random question but i remember asking it to you the first time we spoke um and now i'm going to ask it to you again is there a way to to not to have like a different basket of of stocks than the one like say you primarily do 90 percent doordash but you're like i don't want doordash stock can you have it be like a basket of the stocks today no it's always been the intent the problem is like the stock market are so heavily regulated. What we do is extremely simple for a reason, because the moment we add any subjectivity into how we decide what stock you get and what stock you don't get, all of a sudden we start we start hitting new regulatory requirements. And without getting too complicated, too too in the details, there are things called registered investment advisors. There's things called broker dealers. These are licensed, regulated um, uh, things. We don't have to be a registered investment advisor or a broker dealer in our current program. We have to work with a broker dealer. The moment we start doing like baskets of stock, we're effectively indirectly recommending a a portfolio strategy to you. 
And when you recommend a portfolio strategy, you have to be a registered investment advisor. And all of a sudden you take on all this okay. new regulatory compliance. And so it's something we'd like to do eventually, because I think that's sort of a better way to, to sort of view the program. But um, it's uh, it was too complicated for version. Would it be so, recommending if it was like a la carte and you could just pick checkbox the ones that you wanted to be invested in? That That's allowed. There was still some legal debate on like, because we're only showing you six stock, um, then the argument was like, well, you should be showing them non-gig stock. Like if they could choose, they should be able to choose any public stock, uh, but you're limiting the stock that they're allowed to choose. And by limiting, you're implying that these are the stock you should choose. And that feels like investment advice, right? So it, it is very nuanced and I'm not an expert, but um, anyways, it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah i i just i i i think that's i mean are people acquiring like actual amounts of stock now do they have a stock do they have a share do they how, yeah, how, does, how does it actually look now playing front, out like, yeah we we would have i mean the the program has been going for about a month we definitely have users that have 10 plus dollars in in their accounts and so you know probably a, a couple of super users that are that are maybe 25, 30, 40, $45 of stock in their account. So it really just comes down to how often you're using your, your account. So we're like effectively we tie it to like the amount you spend on your card, percentage of that gets given back to you in stock rewards. Um, yeah. as, so, to speak. Yeah. so Matt, so like you guys have this proposal, it gets formally proposed, like what yeah. happens? You just get a phone call from Uber one day? Like what, how, how did this go down, right? Like, yeah, well, a lot of the communications happen through our law firm. So it's as, as a, uh, like outdated as it is, the proposal has to be mailed and it has to be like, you know, registered mail um, and it has to arrive before a certain date. And, you know, you, you send like multiple copies, one to Uber's um, corporate secretary on the board, one to their general counsel, one to their external law firm. And like effectively to like create a paper trail that there was a proposal when it was submitted. Um, and then meanwhile, like your law firm keeps one and notarizes it and all this stuff. So there's lots, it, they have not digitized this process. The SEC keeps it. And I think these public companies want it to be complicated because if not, it'd be way too easy for people to just sort of like throw. Um, and, and the criteria are not that aggressive. Like to submit a, a proposal, you have to own a certain amount of stock. I think in the case of Uber, and this would be true across public companies, we had to own $25,000 of Uber stock for at least one year. If you hold them for at least two years, then the amount goes down. And if you hold it for at least three years, the amount goes down. So I think it's like if you own $10,000 worth of stock for three years, you're allowed to submit a proposal. If you own $25,000 of stock, for, you have to hold it for one year, you're allowed to submit a proposal. So it means there's a certain threshold. We had probably, I don't know, five, six conversations that included like the uh, Uber's. The first conversation did not include Uber's chief legal officer, but the second one did. Um, and then they have a team that's sort of like investor relations that sort of deals with like shareholder issues. Um, and uh, we went back and forth on, on a proposal. I mean, we knew that the proposal was not going to be something that like carried a lot of weight, but we just wanted to see like how far we could push it. We ended up getting them to agree on two things. One, um, and the whole angle that we were pushing for was that Uber was ignoring the reality that they had a lot of drivers that were relying on other apps to earn a living and like every time uber talked about their drivers they were always saying things like 90 percent of our drivers are part-time and we we were zeroing in on this saying hey that's inaccurate you know that's inaccurate a lot of your drivers are also driving for lyft they're also driving for doordash they're also driving for any other apps and we want you guys to 
publicly recognized that multi-app earners are a thing. And so they published a paragraph in their, uh, they have an annual ESG report that they, they, they filed. Uh, and there was a paragraph in there that sort of credited us that said, hey, Moves Financial, one of our shareholders brought it to our attention that a large number of our drivers are multi-app earners. And we recognize that multi-app earners have unique challenges. Um, it was really like a little bit of like a, a nod to us influencing them on something really, really small, but proving that in theory, you could influence them on bigger things. Because we, we like sort of forced their hand to do this thing that they didn't want to do. And then the other thing that they committed to that we had no way of validating because these are not public uh, filings, uh, they committed that the idea of multi-app earner challenges would be a formal agenda item at the next board meeting after our submission. And so as far as we know, the board of directors at Uber had an agenda item to talk about multi-app earner challenges. Um, and so we sort of considered that a win for our first go. In theory, we could be doing this every year. We could be sort of pissing them off more and more and more. And, uh, and you know, it'd be fun to do it. it there, there's a lot of like costs and sort of complexity in doing it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like this kind um, of struggling is like I know. unique, unique <laughs> <saw> challenges. <laughs> um, so I, I know last time, um, I think that I talked to you about this. There was a somebody that um, I deal with a lot out in Portland who was had had some issues with B2B moving from moves to another bank. This is back, oh, yeah. back when, yeah. but I think that's more than corrected now. Is that right? Yeah, totally, totally fixed. There's lots of ways to move money in and out of your account. Quickly? Uh, yeah, inst we have an instant okay. rail that you can do both in and out. So you can you can move money to any, uh, any other debit card um, within like three seconds effectively once you sort of process okay. it. So, um, We've made it quite easy. We know that a lot of users will use us to like get their deposits, but they'll pay their rent in another account or they'll pay a utility bill in another account. They need to move money back and forth. So, um, yeah, that's all that's all fixed at this point. Yeah. And then I, ha I, have to, I have to ask you this because I just know what a huge win this would be. I know I brought this up to David, too, but I always even to David, I've said I, I see it more being facilitated by you guys. Is there a way to ever get like a daily cash out? We talked about this before, yeah. but like, you know, I know that you were saying, but the problem is, is that each user has to dial that in. So, I mean, could they do it as a permanent, but I mean, we do know that every driver, if they didn't have to pay a fee or whatever, like, like you were mentioning earlier, the DoorDash direct card or Uber one, people don't like those. They just have them as yeah. a means to get their money cashed out that day. Yeah. I mean, yes. I think that's sort of like the golden ticket is solving that problem across all these apps where it's like almost like you know i mean just to put it real easy like at midnight every night all your apps would cash out yeah no and actually david and i chatted about this maybe a year ago or so like hey could you just cash out all of your all of your apps that are connected to your para account or whatever um and um i mean i think there's two things that we're watching so one Apps like DoorDash and Uber, DoorDash in particular, but Uber to a lesser extent, uh, Lyft to a lesser extent, they intentionally uh, make it difficult for you to pay out to any card that is not their own debit card, right? And difficult right. meaning they charge you. Um, DoorDash goes a step further. So DoorDash doesn't only charge you the most, they charge you $2 versus Uber's like 85 cents, for example. Um, but DoorDash does one thing that I find pretty egregious, but they get away with it somehow. Uh, if you use Uber Pro and you decide to switch to Moves, 
that's like an instantaneous process. And like by tomorrow, your pay will come to moves instead of going to Uber Pro. Um, or even like by, you know, your next cash out. So if you say, I just cashed out on Uber uh, and I switched to moves and I want to cash out this afternoon, I'll, you can get that money that moves like this afternoon. DoorDash freezes your ability to cash out for seven days if you switch off of the Dasher Direct card. And they, so they make it super difficult to, to switch because obviously nobody wants to lose access to their money for seven days. Um, I think, frankly, these things are like borderline criminal. I think, I think it's, it's similar. Yeah, to, I was going to, I was you know, going to tell you about a lot of tales. I mean, there's, there's one, there's one handle on, on YouTube. You're probably not familiar with it. Um, I haven't talked about this in a while, but Uber, uh, Uber Phoenix driver or something. He's in Phoenix. Um, he had like an entire week's and he makes a lot of, of his money on DoorDash. He had like an entire week's worth of pay and he was just doing the weekly payout by them. And it happened that a restaurant was closed and he was picking up some pings of orders from this place. And then he picked up one and, and said, nope, they're closed. And then he picked up another and said they're closed and they deactivated him right there. They said, why are you sitting there just picking them up if, if you know they're closed? And he's like, why are you dispersing them if you know they're closed now? And so this whole thing happened. His All of his money got frozen for like three weeks while they figured out the deactivation wow. for an entire week. So it was like 1500 bucks, And he ended up getting it, but it was like a month later. In Colorado, if you're let go from a company or anything, you have to you have the right to be paid that uh, that day. Yeah. Like, no, it, if you get if you get let go of a place, you can go into that business and get paid that day for everything you're owed. Yeah. So Matt, what's the justification for the week? Are they like it's fraud or something like that, or they don't even justify it? I guess I don't even need to justify it. It can't. It, I don't think there's any legitimate reason because if it were a fraud reason, then this would be a, a, a universal rule across any debit card switching, any bank account yeah. switching, right? Like there's nothing unique about Dasher. Yeah, Bank. like you know, if it's fraud, it'd be a day or two at most. Yeah, right? at, at most. And, and we have two. Yeah. We have two mechanisms, right? We have like you're switching your your weekly payout, which is it, it's paid over a payment rail called ACH in yeah. the US. ACH uh, changes will tend to take a day or two and that's normal. And like, and these pay cycles tend to be a week or two. So it's not the end of the world. If it takes a day or two for that switch to happen, meaning like debit's instantaneous. I mean, debit is, yeah, if you're switching your like instant pay, which is like the, the card on the, the number on the front of your card. Um, then that's an instantaneous switch. And, and, and it's instantaneous in every other context that we do it. Uber, Lyft, Bank of America, Chase, Chime, you name it. If you switch to moves from those cards, it's instant. DoorDash, seven day, seven day freeze. Um, it, you know, so th there's lots of reasons why this idea that you described, Steve, is like super appealing. But every one of these companies would 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 have to get out of the way or proactively play ball. I mean, I think at some point it becomes like it'll become obvious that what they're doing is is not. Um, you know, not fair to their users. Like the other one that, that always strikes me as really, really egregious is Walmart Spark requiring their users to bank the branch and not giving them a choice. And so we can't, we can't, we can't bank Spark drivers because they, they only can get deposits to the branch card, which I've never heard of an employer that requires you to use a specific bank account. Um, and, and if, and if the only ones I know of are unions and stuff that have, that use credit unions. Yeah. Yeah, and then, even then you can, work for you a can bank. change it. Might it. Be, it might be reasonable to say you have to bank with the bank you work for. 
but you know, you shouldn't be able to force an independent contractor where they bank. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think it's the same thing, right? Is it's convenient. It's convenient for Walmart to only build it one way, right? So I think it goes back to the inherent tension. And and frankly, I just don't think that they've ever been scrutinized by either like a consumer protection regulator or had enough consumers complain, like users complain. Um, And you know, it might be that it's a completely innocent mistake what Walmart Spark is doing, and they just haven't clued in that this is not good. I think what DoorDash is doing is pretty intentional. Um, and uh, yeah, and so it creates a, it makes it difficult to solve that problem you're describing, Steve. Cause like there are ways for us to enable that um, for, for free. The fee, this 85 cents that Uber charges is $2 at DoorDash charges. That is DoorDash and Uber deciding to charge that fee. They don't need to charge that fee. We can enable that payment uh, for near free. And, and like, we would probably subsidize the cost to make it free because it's worth it for us to get that customer to get that deposit. Uh, but they choose to layer on a, a price um, to disincentivize you from not using Uber Pro, Lyft Direct or DoorDash or Dasher Direct. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a very intentional choice that they're making that makes it difficult to solve that problem effectively. Oh, yeah, you're, you're right. Mark, Mark's right. Uh, Spark moved away from branch because Walmart acquired a company called Even. Um, even is now like in-house Walmart sort of like fintech financial services business. Um, and I think they're actually also working not just on like spark payments, but also just like a consumer debit card, a consumer credit card for people that shop at Walmart. Um, but now that's the new, that's the new branch for, for spark drivers. Yeah. We've gone along for a while. I was thinking that'd be a really interesting product. We've gone pretty deep on like, how would we be able to enable this single payout across all the apps same day instantly? Basically, and there are just a bunch of, at the end of the day, there's credit risk, right? And I think the biggest yeah. risk is basically they can come in, they can request a cash out with Para and at the same time go in and try to request an instant payout on one of the debits on the platforms. And effectively, you cash them out, but they manage to time it right. So they've also cashed yeah. out of the platform. And there's just a bunch of these edge cases. Uh, and it doesn't mean it wasn't solvable. It's just a much harder problem than you think but it, frankly it's not it's not too different from our cash advance program like i think of yeah. i think of daily pay as very similar to our cash advances just on a shorter time frame like we give you a cash advance of a week's yeah. pay we could quite easily give you a cash advance of a day's pay and collect it a day later instead of collecting it a week later or whatever right so um i think the mechanism is quite similar i do and i do expect that the the credit risk would be similar to what we see maybe slightly smaller yeah. because the, the cycles are so much faster um, the other thing that's sort of like happening in parallel that I think is like good tailwinds for this problem is payment infrastructure is is evolving in the U.S. And so there are new types of payment rails that are now coming to market that uh, that facilitate instant payments. I mean, the, the one a, a big one being driven by by the Fed is called FedNow. FedNow is an instant payment rail between banks that are that are uh, within the federal system um, and. It, it in theory allows you to move money between bank accounts for free, whereas you used to go through ACH, which would take like one to two days delay. FedNow is just now starting to get off the ground. Uh, Visa is rolling out a new payment infrastructure called Visa Plus. Uh, they're trying to compete with like Venmo and PayPal, where you could do sort of like any Visa debit card to Visa debit card instant cash movements and from pay like employer to Visa debit card instant cash movements. Um, and so once these things become a little bit more ubiquitous, then Uber and DoorDash's ability to like create these barriers, I think will go down. 
So I do think this problem is solvable in the next like one to two years. It's just a matter of like when that barrier sort of goes away. But other thing too, I think for Dash or Direct, I mean, it's a revenue stream for DoorDash, right? I mean, they make sure yeah. interchange yeah. on the card. Uh, but I mean, but the other part becomes, David, all these states looking at legislation and the problem with portable benefits and that they shouldn't be using acceptance rate and all this. I mean, now, you know, they're going to, I don't know. I don't know why they're playing with this because if you don't have Dash or Direct, you're paid at the end of a week and they shouldn't be holding on to your money. I mean, I don't know how anybody else feels about that, but I would think that it's about time, especially DoorDash. I know we've always kind of seem to pick on them but they seem to push all the buttons wrong i mean yeah. they really seem to go farther than the other gig app companies at how bad they're attacking things and it's just i don't know how they think they're going to escape all this now they've got multi-tier top dashers and you got to have ars that's not allowed to be an independent they they're like they're not and not only is it not transparent but they're not being even here they're not and it, not, it surprised me that the, the conversation on independent contractors has not, as far as I've seen, not included this sort of like banking, um, this banking dynamic of like, hey, if you're an independent contractor, you should not be required or locked into a bank account that is that yeah. is handed to you by the contract, like the, the person giving you the contract effectively. Um, yeah. because, like DoorDash it is seems just, like, uh, I mean, it seems like, right? So it's another tool that they're using to, make you not drive for Grubhub or not drive for Uber Eats or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Or they should be able to offer it, but then incentivize it, but you can add your own card to get paid out on there. You should be able to do that. I mean, to me, it is a consumer protection thing. Just, yeah, it's going to happen. Like Walmart's going to yeah. get slapped. Someone's going to slap them. It's just going to take I, time. I, agree, yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, at some point yeah, right. it's crossed our mind. Like, I don't even know the process, but I was like, Hey, how do I just like pick up the 1-800 number and call the consumer protection? Oh, you should. You, I mean, you should just, you should just call, you should just call Sergio and tell him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or, or we should have a big blast to all of our users and get a whole bunch of complaints emailed to yeah. the regulator on the same week. Or yeah, yeah. I, I joke somewhat about Sergio. I mean, he's done a very good job at highlighting yeah. these things and actually making a change, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I, I got to say that, um, like, I had asked you before about, like, Curry. Okay, so Curry's not on there, but Curry every day cashes out my account at, like, noon. It used to be like two hours after each curry. So if I did three, four in a day, I'd get four deposits in a day. Yeah, That's how good they are about it. Um, but all I need to do, I, it doesn't really need the integration with moves because all I need to go do is change my routing and my bank number yep. to moves. And it's just going to automatically yeah, so go there's there. a lot of, and we, we've taught, we, we've gotten to know the team at Curry relatively well. Curry does charge. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, but I think it's a 1% fee on those cash outs on the daily. Only, only if you need a cash out, but it's yeah. coming to you in two to four hours. Yeah, yeah. If you want to cash out early, there's, there's like this. Right, but I mean, cashing out early is saying, I need it now, not in two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and um, I mean, to me, it's like, you don't. I, need I think Curry's like best in class. We have talked to them about like, hey, is there a way for us to even remove that fee for the, the cash out feature? Because I think there's a way that we could we could enable that for free if we partnered with companies like Curry and others that want mm -hmm. to be able to pay their workers faster. I mean, in some cases they actually do carry a cost. It's not, it's not always just like a fee that they're using to generate revenue. A lot of these companies are using a product like Stripe to enable this and Stripe charges them when they do these cash outs. So they're passing on that sure. fee to the user, but there is a way for us to sort of enable these things for, uh, for free, um, which I think a lot of the apps that are not, let's say DoorDash and Uber, they want to be able to do this because it's a, it's a perk to be able to, attract drivers into their ecosystems, right? So 
Um, yeah, the other way for us to do what you're suggesting of this like sort of broad one button cash out every day um, is sort of going one to one every company and structuring some sort of partnership agreements with them where they enable us to do that. Um, and in some cases, it's as simple as Curry allows you to put in your moves. We do get people that bank with us that use that drive for Curry. Um, so we already see that behavior, but, you know, actually going a step further and formalizing partnerships with these companies, um, yeah. you could, you could start enabling some pretty interesting things. Yeah. I mean, not to mention the partnerships too, because I, I don't see, I mean, look, everybody might say that every gig app is, is guilty of this, but I don't see that Curry is doxing me. They're not looking to dox me for my payment. No. No. You know, they're just not a company like that. They're not trying to be deceiving. They're trying to, in fact, be very upfront. They're transparent. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I do think that this behavior is 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 only a few of the big guys that that sort of are uh, are doing this type of stuff. Yeah, because so I would I even imagine like the delivereds and things like that might be into this. You know, they just might not know about it yet. I just caught up with uh, with Chris that delivered a couple weeks ago. Actually, I met him through David. We went for dinner together in LA last uh, earlier this year. Uh, yeah. yeah, we have Chris on here next week. So, oh, nice, cool. <laughs> I, love so I know we have just like a couple minutes left. So I think uh, Matt, like, you're building something awesome. You're going to keep working on it like three to five years from now. Like, what is moves? Like, where where where's this all going to go? And I, I asked that as a person who says that I have no idea where Para would have ended up years ago. So I know it's a bit of a trick question, but like in your, you know, in Matt's mind, or like in any longer term timeline, but like, what do you want this? I always, I always used to use the analogy of like a credit union for the gig economy. Like, I think there's something really interesting about a financial institution that just represents a specific type of person with a specific type of work. Or the other, the other one, uh, like USAA, the like, you know, for for the for military families and veterans and things like that, where there's sort of like a common element to everybody who who banks there, and it shows up in the types of products and services that you offer to your users because you you can design products and services that are unique to these types of criteria, um, and so I mean, in a perfect world, in my mind, the gig companies are not in the business of offering financial services products. But they rely on the fact that there is a company out there that is taking care of all of those things for them. So, you know, gig workers are 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 managing their money responsibly. They they understand their taxes and they're filing them. Um, you know, in a in a few, in three to five years, it's very plausible that there are states that are that are starting to mandate portable benefits plans. And and in that context, you actually need an account to catch all these contributed stipends, right? So if Uber is paying you a stipend and DoorDash is paying you a stipend. Where do yeah. you like pool that money to turn around and buy your own health insurance policy? Like, I think we'd really like to be this like financial hub for the individual gig worker running their business um, and uh, and just make that like table stakes. Like you should be able to like have all the financial tools you need so that the the, the, the facility, like the administration of your business is not complicated. Obviously, the work of doing your work is hard, but you shouldn't have this additional overhead of how do I manage my money? How do I think about my taxes? How do I all this stuff like that should be automated. That should be on us to solve. Um, it, it does sort of like require a future where we become a little bit more friendly with sort of the DoorDash and DoorDashes and Ubers where they allow us to play that role to a certain extent. Um, but I think that the days of like a Dasher Direct program, an Uber Pro program are numbered. I, I don't know that the regulators are going to allow this long term as, as like a thing that holds users in these ecosystems and doesn't allow them to leave easily. Um, but we'll see. I mean, that, that's maybe wishful thinking, but I, I'd love to get to a point where, um, 
And then on top of that, if we, you know, stock rewards to me becomes like this, this like layer on, you know, we have this like group of users that are all gig workers. They all manage their money in the same way. They all are getting better at their taxes, et cetera. And we can start to like be a, a, a voice, a collective voice for what gig workers want to see change in policy and, um, and other things. So, um, I yeah. love the stock because I think that's how we initially met, right? I think, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Asking, do I still have any, I mean, I, I still love the driver rights, the driver rights.org. I think it is, um, like yeah. an awesome initiative. And I think there's a ton of overlap in terms of just, just for those listening, it's drivers rights, drivers rights.org. Plural drivers rights. But I, I just love sort of where you're going with moves, right? And I think it sort of aligns with a lot of what we're trying to do too. It's really sort of like the driver being the center of this gig universe or the worker being the center of this gig universe. And you should have tools that cater to you. You should have financial products that cater to you. You should be able to unlock access to other platforms. You should be able to do it all under your roof with you as the center of it, right? So I think we share sort of a a similar vision in that direction. So I hope we'll be able to do things together to make that a reality. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. So, Love yeah. it. Yeah, I was telling David before we get out of here, I got to tell you this, man. I was telling David that it's after watching this all these years and being a part of it, I'm 2024, I feel like is, is going to be a big play for the little guy with because there's legislation coming down in a lot of states. There's the for, there's the push for the forced removal of AR ratings even for the psychological terms, not only for for ranking drivers, but you cannot have it both ways. These companies can't have you, can't treat you like an AC or treat you like an employee, but pay you like an IC. Yeah. yeah. They're going to have to find their lane and they're going to have to get in it. Yeah, I think that's right. They can't keep just riding both lanes anymore. That's not going to be possible. I mean, I already know this from talking with lawmakers and other things. Even if every one of them didn't pass in any of the states, there's enough buzz that it's going to be a big problem for these companies. Yeah. And I know that they've, they've gotten used to this way of just throwing bad money after bad money after bad money at these problems. But they do it in such ways that I know we don't have all the answers, but they're definitely not doing this correctly. Well, the other thing that's sort of like, you know, it's relevant in the context of gig work, but it's becoming more and more relevant across the economy is the way people work is changing. A lot of people don't have traditional jobs. A lot of people don't have one lifelong career employer. And financial services, the world that we live in, a lot of these products are designed from an era when you have a job for 30 years and you get your W-2 and you have your 401k and you got retirement plans and you're saving for your kids' education. As people change the way they work and our financial products and services are not adjusting to these new realities, then there becomes this massive gap where, you know, we were in, in Cleveland a couple of weeks ago with, with our friend Pedro. Um, and I was talking to him about how he bought his house in St. Louis and he bought his house in cash because he couldn't get a mortgage. Right. And so you have to save up enough cash to buy a house. Um, and it's crazy to me that if you're like a hardworking gig worker in a city where <laughs> your earnings are at the right level to be able to afford a home, but there's no products that allow you to buy a home, right? Like a, like a mortgage product. And, so I think there's a huge vacuum for better financial products for people in this line of work. Uh, and that is not just true in gig economy work. It's true in a lot of different industries that are sort of like changing the definition of traditional work. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're just a small part of that. But I think that's another thing that's going to start to happen in 2024. Well, Matt, I want to thank you for your time. David, too, everybody for watching and everybody who will be watching on the replay or listening to the newly added audio podcast, you guys. That does drop on Friday mornings. Um, 
We are back here next week, next week with uh, Chris Heffernan from uh, CEO of Delivered. And uh, check out Moves Financial, you guys. It's movesfinancial.com and uh, look into it a little more. So thank you guys for joining us. Be safe, earn smart, and uh, see you back here next week.